Trekkies, and welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek, starting with the original series. My name is John, and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host, Kevin. Hey. Uh, so, Kevin, what episode are we reviewing today? Today, we are talking about Season 1, Episode 4 of the original series, The Naked Time. Uh, all right, before we get into our recap and review, I got a quick question for you. Well, we'll see how quick. <laughs> <laughs> I love these uh, questions. All right, so assuming you're crash-landed on a green planet, uh, you set a beacon, uh, of course you're in a, a, a starship, uh, you set a beacon and um, your replicator only has power to make three items. What would you make to survive? You do have your shuttlecraft still intact. You have a phaser and a tricorder. Oh my god, that is <laughs> that is an in-depth question. Right? If you want to think about it, I know that's that's a hard one. I'll I'll explain mine first. Um, since you have a shuttlecraft, you have some kind of shelter, so it's not it doesn't have to be your immediate you know response. Um, you have a phaser, so you can protect yourself and create fire, and you got a tricorder, so you can more or less tell if something's coming up on you. So I would create, you have to assume you're going to be on this planet for maybe weeks, you know, waiting for someone to see your beacon, uh, a light source of some kind. So, you know, replicate a flashlight or a lantern or something to make a convenient light that's not just fire, uh, an axe, because you want a long-term way to build, you know, more shelter if you need to, or fashion other kinds of weapons. So an axe, I think, you know, a green planet, you got trees and branches and stuff, it's most versatile. Um, and then I don't know, I'm sure in future Trek technology, this would be a thing. And I, I'm pretty sure we have these right now. Just, I don't know if there's a convenient travel size version of it, but a condenser that just takes, uh, moisture from the air and condenses it into clean, drinkable water. Uh, I think that would be most important to have a way to get clean, drinkable water. So if you could replicate a condenser, that would be, that'd be dope. Those would be my top three right there. Well, that that last one is very close to my first thought, which is some way to take wastewater and to turn it into drinkable water. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so very similar, but I guess I, I'm thinking more modern technology that that they use <laughs> to do that. But that'd be simple to replicate. Wouldn't use too much of your replicator power to do that. Um, that'd be that'd be the first one. Some something to to make clean drinking water out of man that's a tough (laughs) question i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with a a zippo lighter Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know being able to start fires and just lighters are cool and it's it's a very very useful tool to have Mm -hmm. and that's a good point you you do have a phaser but you only have one phaser it only has one energy cell in it or whatever so you probably want to be able to protect yourself as long as possible versus using it to start your campfire every night exactly, and then yeah. run out. Um, man, how many, in this hypothetical situation, how many people are on the ship? Oh, just yourself. Just myself. Okay. Yeah. 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 This may seem odd to be my last choice, especially if it's only going to be for a couple of weeks, a month or whatever. But I would want like a, some kind of, robot dog i think some <laughs> some kind of companion you know uh, someone to you. yeah it's just someone is something to spend time with and interact with so i'm not 
you know, going. You want your Tom own castaway Wilson? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you want a companion cube? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like it. I like it. That's smart. Hey, mental health is an issue too. You might just go crazy and phase yourself if there's nothing to talk to. So exactly. I like it. All right. So all of you guys listening out there, we want you to respond on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Let us know what is your top three items you would replicate if you were crash landed on a green planet. All right. And moving on, we're going to get into our recap and review. So, in the beginning of this episode, we start uh, with the Enterprise in orbit of planet Psi-2000. They explain that this is a frozen wasteland nearing collapse uh, because their star went dark. And I think Spock mentions this is what will happen in the distant future on Earth, because it was a similar planet to Earth. Um, So their mission is to beam down, rescue any of the um, researchers that are still alive, uh, and then return to the ship and watch the planet decay. They want to observe and, and take sensor readings and everything of what happens when a planet implodes or collapses uh, from this kind of decay. So Spock and crewman Joe beam down to investigate. Right away I noticed they had those pretty cool looking orange uh, hazmat suits or, or whatever you, that is. What do you think about those? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I necessarily call them cool. Uh, they, <laughs> they're very similar to what we have right now. The first thing I noticed, though, and I don't know if this is common in hazmat or not, because I'm, you know, I don't ever <laughs> have to use hazmat suits. Thank goodness. Uh, how how the the helmet, the headpiece wasn't sealed. I thought that was very odd. Yeah. And especially with their environment. Um, I mean, I know there's some some suits that are just to protect you from splashes and, and skin contact. But they're in a frozen wasteland that has no life support. So you'd think they need to stay warm and they need to have uh, oxygen supply. So their suit should be something that's like you can wear out outside the ship in space. Uh, so that's that's a good point. I don't think it's uh, quite up for the task that they're at there. But I mean, they're high tech. Maybe there's some kind of system in there we don't recognize. But obviously, it's sci-fi. But yeah, it didn't look like it was made to withstand much much more than a splash of blood. Yeah, if you can reach your your hand under your <laughs> under your hazmat <laughs> helmet, I don't think it's a very effective hazmat helmet. Right. All right, so then we see uh frozen bodies. They they realize that the life support systems were shut down. Uh so all of all of the crew of this uh station have frozen to death. But they notice that they all mostly froze in very odd positions or situations. Uh, one of them they note specifically was a man that was frozen while fully clothed in the shower, uh, which again, with the way things freeze, that seems like it might not make much scientific sense. Uh, there was also a woman that was strangled to death. So like, hey, something weird happened here. We don't know what's going on. When you first saw that scene, what did you think? What was your first like hypothesis of what was happening on this uh, station? Um. My first thought, I don't know if you've seen the movie Serenity or watched the show Firefly, but my first thought went to uh, in the movie Serenity when they land on, I forget, Miranda, is that the name of the planet, I think? Uh, They land on the planet and there's just a bunch of people that are laying around dead everywhere. Mm -hmm. And in that movie, they just died doing nothing. Like they just all let it happen. And that was my first thought was that they all just let it happen. 
until Spock said something about there being a woman strangled to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in my mind, I was thinking, like, this must have been a flash freeze. Like, they everything was going just fine, and maybe they were researching some kind of technology that they didn't really understand or something like that, and everybody was... You know, maybe there was some some riot or, or fight on the ship that caused that woman to get strangled, but then something happened that just made everyone freeze in place. So they didn't, you know, normally if you're going to freeze, everyone would most likely huddle, try to build a fire of some sort, or just like conserve body heat. Uh, but they were all doing different weird things. So I was like, yeah, it must have happened instantaneously, and they didn't have time to prepare. Uh, but we find out that's not the case. So as we move forward, um, Joe makes contact with a substance that looks like blood it's not frozen so it's a little hard to tell but it we find out eventually it was a infectious virus in, in blood uh he touches it it gets on his hands he like, puts it under his mask i don't know if he touched his face with it but at least uh, under his mask and right away it starts to irritate his skin so we see him like rubbing really hard and had a little rattle kind of sound effect that goes along with it you couldn't see uh what was on his skin but you could hear whenever he's rubbing it that it has that rattle sound effect. How do you think that was depicted? Do you think that was a pretty good way to explain a non-visible pathogen or, or virus? Yeah, an audio cue for the audience is always... It, it, it's always a good thing, I think. It, it doesn't over-explain and it doesn't under-explain. It's exactly enough for you to know as the viewer that there's something going on. Um, what I don't understand is with Starfleet training, why it was his nose that itched so he took off his glove mm -hmm. in a hazmat environment mm -hmm. and then proceeded to scratch his nose right you would think it, it must be pretty hard to get out into space and it would take you know engineers or geniuses that have been in school for a lot of years to be able to get out there and this guy is in a very unknown untested environment scratching his face has he not been through a COVID pandemic yet or what? <laughs> That's actually what I wrote in my notes. Obviously, COVID didn't happen in the Star Trek Prime Universe. Right. Oh, my gosh. The rookie mistake. <laughs> All right. So then they, they beam back to the planet after checking out that frozen space station. Uh, they, uh, Spock, sorry, as soon as they beam back, Spock has the foresight uh, because of the situation. He knows there was a lot of questions left unanswered. So he has them stay on the transporter pad and uh, ask Scotty to do a decontamination sequence, which I thought was really interesting because, and, and I know it kind of ties in with the evolution of Star Trek technology, in future Star Treks, that is built in as a standard operating procedure with transport. The transporters have like a filter or buffer in them that will separate unidentified pathogens and stuff like that. So the people will be beamed without the bacteria that was around them. Uh, so I found it interesting they had to stop and do a special sequence just to sanitize them, which we find out later too didn't really help. Yeah, I, I also like the evolution of that because in the prequel series Enterprise, I'm trying to not bring it up so much because it takes place before this, but uh, th they actually have like a physical decontamination room that they walk in after coming back aboard and having to rub themselves with all this lotion and stuff. Uh, uh, so there is definitely uh, a, a, pro a progression in decontamination technology throughout Star Trek. I like that. Yeah, it, it really helps with the lore, like kind of tie it all together, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so then they go to uh, sickbay and they do a checkup with the doctor. 
And the doctor looks over both of them. He doesn't understand Spock's readings, which is concerning. He's a doctor on a starship with more than just humans, so he should understand the blood pressure and heart rate of a Vulcan. But either way, Spock tells him, don't worry, doc. That's normal for me. I'm healthy. Uh, so the doctor agrees. Yeah, both these guys are just fine. Uh, though Joe is st- is itching more and more, and he's got you know already some mental health issues, some trauma from witnessing or... Uh, what can be seen at this point as trauma from witnessing all the dead people in the space station. Uh, so my question for you at this point is, is Bones a terrible doctor? <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> seem to recognize this guy's itching all over himself. The blood tests come out fine, even though he has some kind of virus uh, and his you know mental health state's not 100%. So obviously it's just a way for the uh, the audience to be like, oh yeah, Vulcans are different than humans, LOL. Um, I choose to think of this more as Bones really knows what's going on with Spock, but has to, but wants to tease him about it anyway. Oh yeah, you're different. I don't understand your readings. I know that's not actually what they meant, but that's in my head. That's how that went. Mm, I like it. All right. So they go into the briefing room. They have all the senior staff there. They're just kind of trying to figure out where to go from here. Should we stay in orbit of this planet? Is it still safe? How close can we get? Stuff like that. Uh, And then we see... In the mess hall, Joe goes a little bit crazy. His hands are itchy. Uh, Sulu and Riley sit with him, and Sulu's asking him, hey, what's going on, man? Are you okay? And he snaps. He starts uh, rambling, saying, you know, we don't belong here. We shouldn't be in space. You know, if man was meant to fly, he would have had wings and stuff like that. He pulls a knife, and after a struggle, eventually stabs himself in the stomach. Though I gotta ask, does, didn't that look like a butter knife? Yeah, that's exactly what it was, was a, <laughs> okay. a butter knife. Yeah. I mean, uh, they got lasers and stuff. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't want to stab myself with a butter knife. That's got to be a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not thinking clearly, you'll you'll do strange things. That's true. Um, I did notice in this scene that they had the 3D chessboard, but it was 3D checkers. There were like little checkers <laughs> pieces that were on that. Did you notice that? I didn't notice that. Wow, that's funny. I, I just have 3D checkers with a bunch of question marks and exclamation points <laughs> in my notes. So, yeah, it was, it was really odd. Yeah. Gosh, I wonder how much easier. So I have an uncle that would play checkers, but he would just kind of play off the board too. Like, oh yeah, if we had a bigger board, the grid would go this way. So I could skip to the <laughs> left and skip to the right. Like, yeah, it doesn't work that way, but. Yeah, if <laughs> I, I had think... an extra 13 pieces, I'd instantly win. Right. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Hypothetical. Uh, so we know from this scene too, from their little tussle or whatever, that Sulu and Riley just got contaminated with the same virus. Uh, so then we move on to... Uh, Dr. McCoy, um, I kind of skip ahead a little bit, but Dr. McCoy is performing surgery on Joe uh, after getting stabbed, uh, but he doesn't understand. Joe ends up dying from his from his wounds, and the doctor, again, is just like, I don't understand what happened. He was in, you know, great health. The injury wasn't so severe. Like, he must have just given up on life. And I back to the same point. Like, is Dr. McCoy a, you know, first-year rookie or what? Is this, uh, you know, the, he should be able to identify a virus if it's making his body weak or whatever uh so once again disappointed in mccoy <laughs> well it also looked like the the tool that he used to close up uh close up the body was a vacuum cleaner so it's <laughs> <laughs> like a little handheld vacuum cleaner um, little... i do want to say nurse chapel mm-hmm. uh recurring character yes. but the the actress that plays her i don't know how to pronounce her first name i think Majel. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mitchell Barrett, uh, she is in a lot of Star Trek, like mm-hmm. a ton. 
she's in next generation she's in deep space nine she's she's in a lot of star trek so big shout out to her so do you know do you know more of who she is so uh i put it later in my notes when when she's uh seen again in sick bay but i didn't i forgot that she was already in this scene uh she is gene roddenberry's wife that's right yeah roddenberry later in her life um and so she plays Lexana Troy, which is Deanna Troy's mom on TNG and DS9. And she's also the computer's voice for almost all Star Treks. See, in my mind, I knew that, uh, that Gene Roddenberry's wife did the voice of the computer. And I knew that Majel Barrett played Nurse Chapel and Loxana Troy. I didn't connect the two in my mind that they're yeah. the same person. Yeah. And so we we obviously just saw her in the cage, the original, you know, unsuccessful pilot. She played number one, uh, but it's awesome to see right. that they found another role for her and recast her here as a nurse or med tech or however you say it, medical officer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of. I yeah, I put that like right in the middle of my notes and highlighted uh, later on when Riley goes in the sick bay. Um, so, yeah, we see the doctor perform surgery. It's unsuccessful, but then we move on to uh, Sulu starts to go a little crazy, right? Him and him and Riley are itchy and sweaty. And Sulu's like, hey, let's just ditch. Let's just get out of here and let's go to the gym, burn off some steam. And Riley's like, no, we're, we're in the middle of work. Like, we got to keep this ship in orbit of the planet and whatnot. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go. And so Sulu takes off um, and he's already kind of acting odd. Um, later he's found running up and down the halls with his sword, trying to fence with people, which it's a real sword. He even shows because he pricks his finger on it himself. Uh, so he could, you know, potentially stab somebody though. He's doing it. What seems not like, uh, with aggression, but more whimsy and being like kind of silly and crazy at the same time. Uh, until he enters the bridge where Spock and Kirk are able to, you know, subdue him. Spock does the Vulcan. Uh, was it Vulcan pressure pinch or something like that? Uh, the Vulcan nerve pinch. That's it. I like it. Which Kirk right away is like, hey, you got to teach me how to do that sometime. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is this episode aired before the episode that we're going to be talking about next time. But they were in they were uh, shot in reverse order and the neck pinch was used in that episode as well. Mm, nice. I also do want to say that on the the subject of Sulu, Mm -hmm. George Takei has said in many interviews that this is his favorite episode of the entire show. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, like, seeing how it starts off and then what we're going to be talking about a little bit later, it's it's easy to see why that he Mm -hmm. that he likes it so much. I mean, just watching that scene, it's like, oh, yeah, that must have been a lot of fun just to film. You know, you (laughs) play a little bit crazy and, and fencing on the chip. So. Yeah, a little uh, Three Musketeers action in the, the exactly. corridor. <laughs> so then we see, uh, we go to a scene I call C- Captain Riley, where um, <laughs> Riley leaves the bridge. He's dismissed as well, starting to act weird, uh, sent to sick bay. He makes contact with um, Christine Chapel, the, the medical officer that we talked about. Uh, he touches her face, talks to her for a second, and then she starts to get that, that infection. Um, so then he leaves sickbay. He didn't stay there. He goes to engineering. He proves himself to be just savvy enough to be dangerous. He's able to lock himself down in engineering, uh, and which just baffles my mind how one person with not a lot of time and no major engineering 
degree or you know uh, expertise uh, is able to get in there lock it down and he uh, inhibits the rest of the ship from having control so he uh, the bridge no longer has helm control uh, they can't control the engines or anything like that so they are in orbit of a planet where they will uh, either crash into the planet or burn up in its atmosphere within 20 minutes and we see Scotty's like frantically trying to find a way to uh, get into engineering so the the fact that one dude was able to do all that, lock himself in there with no or very little engineering ability, seemingly. Uh, I I once again, I'm a big fan of headcanon, and we do a lot of assumptions and like <laughs> reading between the lines on this podcast. But I choose to think of this once again. It's going to be a line of mine that in later Star Treks, when we see that it's harder for people to do that, they learn from what happened in this episode on the Enterprise. Yeah. And like, yeah, we got to make that a lot more difficult for one guy to just disable the entire ship from one chair. Let's uh, let's spread that out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, because I think the way he explained it was like he manually, you know, rerouted the circuits or something like that so that they can only be controlled from there. But he didn't have a lot of time either. It didn't seem like. Uh, right. It's like he just pushed a button and in like, later iterations like, Let, yeah, let's just get rid of that button. from now. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's some applications. If you're being boarded by an alien race or something like that, then yeah, you want to be able to lock down certain parts of the ship, but it needs to be command override access codes or something like that where (laughs) anybody can open a door uh, with the right clearance. Uh, So yeah, that kind of starts the big uh, excitement in the episode is we're going to crash. We need to hurry up and get that door open, get that guy out of there, get the engines running and get out of this planet's uh, gravitational pool. Uh, so then we start to see the rest of the crew is, is kind of going crazy a little bit. Uh, we see Christine, uh, the med tech or nurse that we saw earlier, uh, Spock goes into the sick bay and she starts to profess her love to him and she makes contact with him. So he gets the sickness as well, this virus. Uh, but it's kind of, it was a kind of a cute scene, I think of her kind of explaining how, how she feels about him. And though he's like cold on the outside, he's actually you know, compassionate and stuff. Uh, and this, this actually in front of her, he struggles to control its emotions. And as he leaves, we see this virus affects people differently too, at the, the rate of infection, because him for him, it was almost instantly. Uh, and then as he leaves, he's almost crying in the halls. He, he goes back to his quarters where we see he's just wallowing in, in like self pity and stuff. So a lot of emotion, but we never see from Spock. We don't expect to see from Spock. Uh, so why do you think this was so hard for him? Why does this seem to affect him more than anybody else? Well, I, I would ask Bones, but you apparently think he's such a bad <laughs> doctor that I wouldn't get an answer. He um, thinks everybody's just healthy. <laughs> it's it, it could be something just as simple as uh, Vulcan physiology is more susceptible to it, or mm-hmm. it could be that his emotions that he suppresses are just closer to the surface than even he realized in just that short time. It, that's all it took for those emotions to be brought up to the surface. Mm, I see. And I do vaguely remember uh, uh, Tuvok on an episode, I don't remember which episode of, of Voyager, explaining that Vulcans actually have stronger emotions than humans. It just takes that much more of effort for them to suppress them and control them. So maybe, I mean, the, and they explained in this episode, this, this virus acts uh, much like alcohol. It, it takes off, takes down your inhibitions when, you act like you're drunk, so maybe that's what it is. Is since he is not refraining, and is you know he's human and Vulcan, but his 
Vulcan passionate emotions are uh, just uncontrolled. Yeah, and in that whole time, Uhura's trying to get a hold of Spock over the comm, and he's ignoring <laughs> work, which is even bigger than showing emotion, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, so then we see uh, in the next scene, Scotty gets the door open finally after this frantic rush. You know, Spock came earlier and told him, hey, you don't have, we don't have time for a security uh, or a safety buffer. You need to just blast through that panel and get it open as soon as possible. Uh, so he does, gets the door open. Him and Kirk rush in with, with uh, security officers. They get Riley out of there. And uh, Kirk and, and Scotty are looking at the engines. And Scotty's like, oh man, this is bad. The engines are cold. He shut them down completely. They're going to take 30 minutes to warm up before we can do anything. And <laughs> Kirk's like, hey, that's not an option. We're going to be dead in 30 minutes. We'll be dead in, I think, eight minutes or something like that. Uh, so we got to do something else. We got to try to do a cold start, which they say, oh, it's only been theorized. It's very dangerous. We could possibly die, but it's, it's, uh, creating an implosion inside the engines, which if you miscalculate could turn into an explosion and destroy the whole ship. Uh, so Scotty's got to work on that and, uh, find a way he's got to do a certain calculation. I think is what it is, uh, to figure out how to safely do that. (laughs) He says it would take a row of computers longer than the the eight minutes that they have left to be able to figure out that calculation. So he's very pessimistic about being able to get it done. Yeah. I like it. You can do the impossible. Uh, so then we see the doc does find a cure. He tests it. It seems to work. He explains, I think, I think it was in this scene. He explains that it's being transmitted through sweat. Uh, the, the, the just people sweat when they make contact with each other is what's spreading the virus. Um, but he's also calling to have it, you know, replicated more and, and administered and everybody else is just loopy. So it looks like he's got to do this himself. The, I think it was 280 crew members or something like that. Uh, he has to go one by one and, and vaccinate all of them or, uh, give them the cure himself. Uh, so then we see, uh, Kirk runs into Spock's quarters and is like, Hey, you know, trying to get his help with with uh, Scotty making that formula to save the ship and get the engines cold started. Uh, but he walks in and Spock's wallowing, crying and, and all mopey and stuff like that. It's like, whoa, this is, this is not right. Uh, so he slaps him to try to get him to snap out of it, right? After, <laughs> this is a great scene. After a couple slaps, after three, I think, uh, Spock hits him back much harder, gives him a, I think it was a bloody nose. And that reminds me, I, I'm, pretty sure we see at one point that they explain that Vulcans, because uh, yeah, over the over the lifetime of Star Trek, we learn more about Vulcans, uh, that they are stronger too, naturally. Their physiology is, they are quite a bit stronger than humans, right? Yeah, that's part of why he's able to do that, that neck pinch as well. And I, they might even explain it in the next episode, how it works. I, I don't know if they do or not. But yeah, his increased strength is, a lot, is what allows him to do that. So yeah, he's, he's definitely able to not Kirk flat on his ass nice so uh spock does start to sober up after they're back and forth so much unfortunately kirk uh starts to show symptoms of this virus uh so he's fighting to regain control you can see uh spock ends up going with with scotty and they they're going to go work together on that formula uh kirk stays behind and he's just like uh, fighting his emotions and fighting to keep his head straight uh and he walks kind of like a like a robot or you know real stiff to try to like force himself like no i'm not gonna let this you know take me down kind of thing and i think i mean we've seen that before uh we just reviewed an episode 
few weeks ago where he shows again like his willpower to to fight and i think that's kind of part of what makes him you know worthy to be captain is is uh that just that strength and integrity that he he uh, had a higher mental capacity for something in one of the other episodes uh that was able to keep him from being controlled i think is what it was Let's see then we go to uh, the cold start they go to uh try to start the engines uh, and it works. They they within the eight minutes they had for and all the time of talking and convincing Spock to join and help out, they were able to get the formula just right. So they cold start the engines. They get out of the gravitational pull of the planet, and we find they're actually going backwards in time. They were surprised by this. They didn't think this was going to happen. Uh, so they travel seventy one hours back in time, and they intentionally slow down the engines. Hey, let's reverse power. Let's stabilize. And then they check and they're like, oh yeah, it's been 71 hours. Um, so they're safe. And now they even mention like, hey, that might be handy someday. Let's put that in our back pocket kind of thing. We may risk it someday, Mr. Spock, is what uh, Kirk says to, to Spock about accidentally figuring out time travel. Yeah. Which is pretty, it's, it's interesting. I like the way, I like the way they, they have time travel here because it's not like we see in a lot of other shows where you put in the time and date you want to jump to and you can just completely skip time to a certain point but in this it's putting the car in reverse you're driving backwards kind of through time so you can only pass at a certain speed and you can only go to recently past time you can't jump to 50 years in the future or 50 years in the past uh, or i mean it would take a long time to travel to that time uh, but i thought that was kind of interesting so I imagine I don't. I haven't seen all these episodes. I imagine uh, hopefully we get to see that used again someday. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember if this specific way of time travel is ever used again. But I, I love the idea of time travel in sci-fi. But I usually hate how it's done. <laughs> and yeah, what you're saying about having like basically having the car in reverse and you can only go one way at one speed. That that is a much puts limits on it. Limitations to to time travel I think is needed in sci-fi in order to do it with stakes. Yeah. There's so many different forms of, of time travel too. So it, to me, I mean, there's, they're all pretty good. There's some better than others, but the key factor I think you have to have in a show or movie with time travel is clear defined boundaries and rules. If it just kind of jumps around and you can, you know, see yourself in the future and the past and, you know, whatever, give yourself something that helps you later. Like you can't have unlimited ability with it. It has to have a cause and effect or different branches of the timeline or, you know, things like that, that you can clearly follow a certain set of rules. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's pretty much the end of the episode. After that, they set course for the next destination. They don't actually tell us where they're going next, but they set course and keep going. I would think after these kind of traumatic events, they would need like, you know, a little decompress, right? Let's just go to, you know, one of those pleasure planets or let's find a peaceful M-class planet to go orbit for a little while or land on for some R&R. &R. And they're just like, no, nope, like, let's get back to work. I'm going to be like, screw that. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm going to lock myself inside my apartment for an entire week. Nobody's going to talk to me. That was pretty traumatic. <laughs> right? My God. Yeah, like. We hear, and this one kind of got to me when, when Spock is under the effect of everything and Kirk walks in on him crying, he says, 
my mother, I never told her I love her. I was like, holy shit, that got deep. Real fast. Yeah. And she's a a human living on a planet of Vulcans where, was it to to show your emotions was in bad taste, I think you said? Yeah, yeah. And even Kirk, he he realizes even in his, uh, for lack of a better phrase, intoxicated stupor, Mm -hmm. that he's like, I can't, I can't talk about how beautiful my Yeoman is. Yeah. And then professes that his true love is the Enterprise and says, let's see, what did, what did he exactly say? I'll never lose you. Never. To yeah. the ship. <laughs> like, man. That's, it's kind of deep, but it's a, it's, it explains a lot about Kirk's personality and how much he really holds back. Yeah. It was, was another, like a good scene, like we talked in, uh, before, a good scene for character development that really, kind of anchors who he is as he grows from here. That's like, oh yeah, but he's always going to have, you know, the ship is his first and, and foremost, his most you know greatest love. Yeah. And on the note of character development, we also see pretty much all the side characters. We have Nurse Chapel, we've got Uhura, Sp- Scotty, we got Spock, not Spock, sorry, uh, we got Bones, uh, McCoy is what I meant to say. We have like all the, the side characters, the, the recurring ones, yeah. all in one episode. It's, so- it's pretty nice to see. Of the side characters' developments, who, which one do you think would be your favorite? Who do you like that, you know, showed their true self the, the most? Well, since Bones wasn't affected by anything and he's incompetent, I'm going to say not him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm just painting this narrative that <laughs> that we hate Bones now, apparently. Maybe he'll learn. <clears throat> Maybe in a few episodes he'll <laughs> crack a book open or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I Honestly, that scene between Chapel and Spock. I think was the best and them like her showing that I I have it written somewhere. She says something along the lines of, we must be torturing you because we, we all have emotions and you're not allowed to show yours or something along those lines. And when Spock can't, you know, reciprocate the love that she has for him back to her, he says, I am sorry. And that's also pretty sad that, Man, he's a, he's a phenomenal actor, but uh, the way Spock says it is very emotional. Obviously, because he's starting all those emotions are starting to come to his uh, to the surface there. So yeah. that scene alone, I think, would probably be my answer to that question. <laughs> I like it. I think my favorite was uh, Sulu seeing him with a, a rapier and just you know fencing in the hallways and stuff like that. And yeah, on the that bridge. was just fun. Yeah, I was like, that's. I think that's the most. Uh, I mean, we see him, I think, use, the, use his sword in the rec room and they talk about it and the gym. Uh, but of the characters, what you expect their, their character to be like or their interests, like, I think that was kind of the most uh, oddball one is that he wants, he secretly wants to be a swashbuckling pirate. Yeah, I mean, he was talking about the, about fencing as he walked into the, the, the rec room earlier and, mm-hmm. or into the, yeah, wherever they were eating and the guy stabbed himself with a butter knife. Uh, before that, he was talking about how fencing is like basically working out and it's 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 a way to condition your body and stuff. And then, yeah, we see that. No, he he really just wants to be a musketeer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is cool, which I mean, I don't know how the if they have a holodeck in original in uh, TOS or uh, if that's the later developed technology. But that would be great to see him playing some hollow novel of the three musketeers. <laughs> that would be fun, yeah. Uh, so I gotta ask you, what do you think the moral or message of this story would be? This episode, 
So I know what the right answer is because I had to look it up after I, I wrote down what I what I got from it first. And then I did some research because I was a little. Yeah, it was a, kind of hard to pull out of this hesitant. episode, right? It wasn't so in your face. Yeah. So what I what I got from it initially was that it's important to uh to basically have those battles with your inner demons and to try to work through them. And that mental health is a big it, mental health awareness needs to be on the forefront more. And that's definitely not what they were going for in this episode mm. at all. Yeah. But that's what I took from it. That's, and that's a really good point. That's a very modern perspective of it, but you're right. If any of these people were intoxicated, if they were blackout drunk, but they didn't have these deep hidden emotional struggles within themselves, they probably would have just staggered down the halls. But, been able to do their job because they had so much turmoil inside it comes out and causes them to act a little crazy right yeah and seeing the kind of stuff they do the the, everything that they all the death that they see all the the combat that they see of course they're going to have these deep deep deep-seated uh emotions that need to be talked about and having a ship's counselor would be a big uh (laughs) a big upgrade i think but yeah what did what did you get from it? Uh, so I, I put down that like the best officers can still have a bad day. So maintain checks, uh, balances, and safety measures. Uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, pretty much. So just how Riley was able to lock himself in engineering and control the entire ship. It's like, yeah, you got to have contingencies for things like that because even though you trust your guys have gone through all this training and they can do you know all these great things, uh, at the end of the day. They can be manipulated by an alien race or they can get a virus like this or somebody could just go crazy and you got to make sure, you know, whoever's pushing the, the nuke button has another person watching them too or, you know, whatever, everything you guys do with such influence has to have checks and balances and safety measures in place. Who watches the watchman? Essentially. <laughs> so I, I did look it up a little bit and I got a couple different opinions on it online. and. Mm-hmm. Honestly, this episode was basically just trying to teach people that drugs are bad. Oh. It was it, this whole it was it was about demonizing drugs and drug use, even though the entire premise of this episode is that they were. Uh, it was against their will. They didn't do it intentionally. Yeah, this episode was obviously it aired in 1966, which was a few years before the, the start of the height of the U.S. war on drugs. Mm-hmm. And. Evidently, at this time, at least half of Americans reported that drug use was a serious problem in their communities. And I guess this is their way of trying to just discourage people from any kind of drug use. Wow, Which, that's interesting. I mean, it, yeah, it's showing they explain that it's kind of like alcohol and, you know, not necessarily a hard drug, but a common, commonly used one anyways. Right. But yeah, it's I didn't get that. From just watching it. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't get that from it either. And after I read that in a few different places, I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And it's it makes sense for the time. Mm-hmm. But that's not how I choose to look at this episode. Yeah. All right. Thank you all for joining us. That's going to be it for our episode. Uh, if you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe or check us out on the geekfreakspodcast.com. Uh, check out our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, send us any questions. If you have questions for us or if you have a question you want us to ask each other at the beginning of the episode. Uh, send those in on any of our social media platforms and join us next time for season one, episode five, the enemy within. All right. Until next time, away team to transporter room two to beam out. <laughs>